Welcome to Happy Path Programming. I'm Bruce Eckle. I'm James Ward. Welcome to Happy Path, the actual last one of 2023. The actual last one, yeah. We decided we would add one because you'll understand why. Because it's Christmas. Well, and we have a Christmas present to unwrap for you all. We do. We yes. do. Several, actually. Yes, I'd say more than one. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, everything seems on track for the Winter Tech Forum, um, February 26th through March 1st. Actually, those are the official days. Um, it looks like if you come early, you can go with us on a little cross-country ski out to brunch at this yurt. Yurt in the woods. The yurt in the woods, which is just lovely. And we've done uh, dinners there in the past, but um, I, I think we'll, we'll switch to this. So think about coming early, um, coming the Saturday night before that, and then you can come and do that. And then also the Saturday afterwards, we, um, everybody brings their extra food and, uh, on, in the morning and we make this uh, big breakfast together and it's a, it's a pretty fun experience. And then people will, uh, head off usually from there. Yeah. Um, so this is the last week in February, last in week in February, Colorado. Yes. And, um, I'll, the, the website is wintertechforum.com and it still has the old dates on it and I need to update it with some things. So I, uh, will get to that, uh, soon, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and as part of that, when people register or whatever, they then can get access to the Slack channel where they can communicate with people about shared lodging and That's right. transportation and all those kinds and of things. And there's some new, um, places that I think should be available then that um, are just down the street from me. And uh, they're, uh, I think, that, anyway, I, I'm going to put that on the website too, how to get those. Some rental those, houses. Those, yeah, it's the ones that are right across from um, uh, to, from where the hardware store is. Oh, okay. Yeah, the ones oh, nice. that they've been working yeah. on. And they look gorgeous. Huh. And they're designed to be short-term rentals. Oh, cool. And I just need to go talk to them and and uh, find out you know what urls to send you to because i think that would be uh, yeah be probably great, a really pleasant spot. experience but people also rent houses yeah and uh and other things it, that part of the um i i think part of the real uh nice aspect of the conference is if you can get into a rental house with with a group of other people yeah because then yeah, the fun. whole experience is kind of nonstop. Yeah. We do all kinds of stuff. You know, we go out to breakfast or have, you know, just things happen all the time. Yeah. So you're, you're never really bored. And, um, if you want to talk about technology, there's way more opportunities than just during the conference proper. And yeah, we always have a super good time. And I feel like everybody who comes here is always kind of amazed at yeah. what a good time that they have. And, so, so yes. Great. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. Uh, Christmas present number one. Right. Is t-shirts. T-shirt. So yes. Tell us about that. We had our designer, um, my, my friend who I've known since we were 10. Anyway, he does wonderful designs and he, he used, created our logo. He created our logo and he incorporated that into the shirt. But then um, the shirt has a kind of a, themed uh, AI generated image that's printed all over the shirt. So it's, it's very different from yeah. a lot of the shirts you see. And, and both of us think it's gorgeous. So, yeah. and this isn't, um, this isn't quote unquote merch. This is just, we, we don't make money off of this or anything. No. We just created it because, well, like we do everything for this podcast because for fun. it's fun. Yeah. And so, um, so this is the Christmas present that people can go to a store and buy. Yes. Um, well, an uh, online store. <laughs> online store. Yes. Yes. It's not, not, we'll, it's not in Target yet. Not yet. Uh, and we'll put the link to yes. that store, online store, in the description. In the description. Yes. So, um, yeah. And you can see the shirt and decide whether, whether you like that. <laughs> but um, we like them. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're pretty pleased with them, and yeah. we may have him do other designs later. Yeah, and on other things as well. Coffee mug, coffee mugs, <laughs> refrigerator magnets. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's there's lots of lots possibilities. Of yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay, so on to Christmas present number two. Yes. So we thought it'd be a fun time to talk about a project that 
I've been working a lot on um, for a while and on and off on and off yeah mm-hmm. and uh and you've been part of a lot of its development in in various mostly ways and, in the idea form yeah yes well because i think i'm not sure if we talked about it before i had written that um blog post on um the problem with gradle yes or the yeah. should have been plurals yeah the, the problems yeah the problems with gradle and well yeah, and that that was a number of years ago that you wrote that uh, blog post about the problems i'm losing track of yeah. how long ago things are so i believe you it so was. we um for a long time anybody that's used gradle has probably felt some friction in various ways whether they're experienced build engineers or developers who don't want to think about the build I'm gonna I'm gonna move you from friction to rage because I feel like I got a lot of people responding to that uh, article going, oh my gosh, I'm glad somebody said this because I found it so <laughs> frustrating. And well, and the fact that you're trying to do something with you know Java or Kotlin or whatever, and then you have to stop because you want to build it and then do this entirely different thing which sort of looks like java but isn't and sort of oh i don't know i i'm just so over it <laughs> i i just basically that's that's one of the reasons i feel like some people give up the uh, jvm in general is because they're just going ah, it's too it's definitely something i've heard from many people is that one of their reluctances to using Kotlin is working with Gradle. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can use Kotlin with other build tools, but it's, if you're in the world of Android, like mm-hmm. Gradle's kind of the default. Yeah. Um, there are people that use Maven and Bazel and others, but, um, but yeah, I think Gradle's, Gradle is is a big part of the Kotlin ecosystem and, and a big part of the Java ecosystem. Uh, and we just put up with it because that's what it was. And then Rust comes along and it's got cargo. And now everybody goes, oh, that's what I've wanted all along. And so in Python, now there's Rye, which is modeled after cargo. And I've heard other people doing it because they go, oh, yeah, this, I don't want to think about that. I want the device, I want the thing to do it for me. Yeah. And so that was, I think, a pretty strong inspiration for yeah. this. Well, and uh, remember we had Josh Surratt on. We talked about build tools yes. a couple of years ago. And um, Josh is is an amazing expert on build tools. He maintained the Scala build tool SBT for a long time. Uh, and one of the things that came out in that episode, which I thought was really interesting about build tools, was that I don't think that anyone has created after creating a successful build tool, no one has ever gone on to create another build tool. And so there's this this weird thing where these people become like experts in build in what a build tool needs to do, all the different pieces of it. It's a very complex problem. They get deep into it. They build a successful build tool that's used by a lot of people. And then they're like, I'm never fucking doing that again. Because it's so <laughs> such a pain. And yet they're the ones that if they did another exactly from scratch, they they would they build, would do a much better and that's job. and this is the reason why all build tools suck mm-hmm. is because no one that has the knowledge to create the good build tool actually wants Ever to do wants it to do it again <laughs> yeah yeah and so uh, so what the project that the we've been working on um, is an attempt to not create a new build tool that mm-hmm. is absolutely not what I want to do. The motivation for it was more like Spring Boot is to Spring. So there's Spring Framework. It's this core framework uh, used by you know, millions of Java developers, and it's existed for a very long time. But a number of years ago, there was the Spring Boot project that took the experience of Spring and kind of wrapped it up into this nice little package and made it easy to boot into that world of spring well, and just like get a bunch of Rails defaults. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, like how do you just have a good out of the box experience that for many developers working with build tools, you don't want to have to think about all these different things that the build tool needs. You just want to say, here's my code. Give me what I want. <laughs> and well, and especially if you're having to learn another language, and I think at this point, if it's going to be another language, I'd rather it be very different and not sort of similar. Like I was okay with make files. I mean, they have lots of limitations <laughs> and everything, but I could, I knew the scope of it and I could make stuff work. Whereas I never felt that way about Gradle. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I will point out, it did get better with the Gradle Kotlin scripting support. Because sure. then at least like the language was sort familiar and, and yeah. sensible and there yeah. was, you know, good code hinting. Anyways, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll deviate from that. Um, maybe come back to that later. So the, the idea for the project was, can we create something like Spring Boot mm-hmm. is to Spring Framework for Gradle? So it was called Gradle Boot, but I renamed it to Grabu. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, trademark issues or something. I thought I didn't want to just um, assume that I could use the, the name Gradle. So it is mm-hmm. Gradle Boot. It's the tool to boot easily into Gradle. And uh, and it. I think it's reached a point where I'm now now ready to say I don't. You shouldn't use this for production, but there's some experiments in Gradle Boot that that I think that we can develop as a community and turn into something that actually could be extremely useful for people using Gradle. Well, even if you don't use it for production, ultimately it gets you started. I mean, the core of it, and if you build on that then you might end up with something that you want to use with production. But the getting started part has always been, it's like, okay, I have to remember, how is this? What are these things I have to do? And I got to say, the um, in Python, you have the pyproject.toml files. Big fan of that because you can put everything in the toml file. You don't mm-hmm. have multiple. But it's just, it's like, oh, we need this thing. Whereas with Gradle, you got to put a bunch of stuff around it, and you have to remember what that stuff is, and on and on. And that on. was that was one of the core insights that took me actually years to come up with. But I finally realized, oh, one of the challenges with Gradle is that Gradle wants you to express your build in terms of what Gradle needs, not in terms of what you as the developer need. And it's not serving us. It's serving the developers of Gradle or whatever. And it, and if what if you're a build engineer and you want to have very precise control over what the build tool is doing and when it's doing it and how it's doing it, that capability is really important and gives you so much flexibility. But it's surface to everybody. It's surface to everybody. And I don't want to be a built engineer. And I think most people don't. Yeah. It's like a very specialized thing. And so it should be something where, oh, here's, yeah, for everything that you do 95, 98% of the time, that's just really simple and straightforward. If you're a build engineer, there's a door you can open and go in and do all that stuff, but it isn't exposed to everybody. Yeah. And I think maybe that is the problem with Gradle, is it exposed to everybody? Yeah. And everybody has to one of it. the problems. And, well, and yeah, one of. well, um, there's a bunch of different pieces of Grabu and we'll go through them, but I think we should, because we're on this subject, let's mm-hmm. talk about this piece of it. Cause this was one of the core um, driving things that I was trying to solve with, with Grabu was, was how do we make it so the build is expressed in terms of what the developer wants, not in terms of what the build tool needs. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's another attempt at doing something like this from JetBrains called Amper, um, which is, which is, is great. And, and definitely there's some interesting stuff happening there. Um, but the idea is how do you, how do you define a model uh, that, that ultimately will become what the build tool needs, but is defined in terms of what the developer wants. And so the, there's a few different aspects to this. One aspect is this idea of declarative, using a declarative language for, for that. Uh, the Amper tool has been experimenting with using YAML as their declarative language to define the build. Remind me whether you like YAML or not. <laughs> I, I have the feeling that there was, I, I can remember some emotions about YAML. There's some the, emotions about yes. YAML. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of YAML at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a terrible, terrible language with, so I it's, mean, a, it's like on, on the level of JavaScript, terrible. Just way too many things that, uh, way too many foot guns, I think, is the hidden foot guns. Um, I think this is why the, I, the I, I, it feels like people are moving more towards Toml because it's so much more straightforward. Yeah, well, and Cargo uses Toml. Yes, um, Cargo uses it. Rai uses yeah. it. Well, no, Python uses it. Yeah. Python's moving. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, JetBrains has said about Amper that the, the, the YAML thing is is potentially temporary, okay, that they could so they use might. Toml or okay. something else. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but for Gradle Boot... 
one of the things that I wanted to do was I didn't want to create a declarative language or use some declarative format, um, but I did want my builds to be able to expressed, be expressed in a declarative way. And the primary driver for that is to be able to provide two-way tooling. Mm. So the two-way tooling for it is whether it's in the IDE, whether it's in a web interface, whether it's from a command line, you may want to be able to manipulate your build. And to do that, it is much easier if you have a declarative format to do the the parsing and understand the structure and what's possible and where to put things. And it's not too bad for me. If I mean, it's like my experience with ChatGPT. In fact, I even had it once create a little uh, Kotlin program and the Gradle build file to go along with it. And it seemed like it did a good job. Yeah. But the, it's... And, and when, when you say, here's what I want, and it shows it to you, and you can study it and understand it and or or modify it. And it's like, but when I have to start from scratch and remember, oh, yeah, how do we, I mean, I don't even know why do we choose one repository or another. And I think in Grabu, you put all three of them in there. Is that right? It's... Um... That's something I actually want to want to fix. It's it's just a temporary thing. Okay. But it, just as an so, I think it's a good example. In a typical Gradle build, you have to define explicitly your repositories. One of the core motivations of Grabu is the things that eighty percent of people are going to do. You shouldn't have to define. And so, what I'm really trying to do is make it so that you don't have to define your your repositories. Uh, they you get default repositories, and sure, if you don't want those repositories, you can you can remove them somehow I don't or know change them. But you have a thing that you can look at and go, oh, here's the repository. I'll use this other one instead, rather than going, how do you do repositories again, and why? How do how do I choose which one? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I don't know any of those things. Yeah. Yeah, and so so what I built Grabu on was the Gradle Kotlin uh, scripting DSL for Gradle, mm -hmm. but I I created a very small subset of what's possible in all of Gradle, and I defined it in terms of uh, that model in terms of what the developer is actually trying to do. So if you want a Kotlin app at the beginning of your build file, you say boot.kotlin app, and then you I think that the only thing you need to specify is which platform you want to target. Uh, so you can put in the JVM or, or native or, you know, Android, whatever. So you can add in your platforms, but, um, but so, so it's this very concise definition. You can put your dependencies in there, but it's still built on the Kotlin script. It so just is just a constrained a kind of DSL. There. So the Gradle Kotlin DSL works with Java. Too, right it's just the the way that you define your build okay. so you yeah. write your build in kotlin mm -hmm. and and so in in gradle boot you write your build in kotlin but it's a very constrained subset of what you can do in normal gradle so it's created i've created these model uh data classes essentially that that only allow you to do a few things mm -hmm. and right now it, it does very little but as we discover oh like most users actually need this thing then we can expand the model i think the hard thing will be to determine like like where's the line i think that's that's probably the challenge with a lot of these things is like like how far do you push things and so what i'm kind of aiming for is 80%, like 80% of uses should be covered by this, this concise declarative format. And then if you need more power, great. You can go off into full-on Gradle land and do whatever you want. But again, you have this starting point to work with. You go, oh, I probably will add uh, a new library here or tooling here if I need it. And eventually, I assume there, there's going to be Grabu add like there is in, in Cargo and Ryan things like that. Yeah, exactly. So that's one of the features I've not done yet, but is I think next on my list of mm -hmm. things to, to tackle is the two-way tooling around adding dependencies, mm -hmm. um, which which I think will be pretty fun and, and easy. Um, I'm aiming for a, uh, if you've ever gone to start.spring.io to create a new Spring app, you can add dependencies right on that web page. Right. So you should be able to add these dependencies either from your project starter, whether that's in the web interface or, or the command line. Mm -hmm. And so that's, um, that's something that, that I'm exploring. And one of the other things that I think you're doing 
is you're making this and as someone who has taught a lot of <clears throat> workshops jvm based workshops um like you always spend the first exercise dealing with setting up the environment class path and everything like that and downloading and configuring and all that and gradle boot is going to provision all that stuff for you without i mean you're you you're creating an executable for like so if i'm on windows i download the windows executable i say go and it gets and configures the jvm for me right yeah so um yeah so we moving on from the feature of the we'll call it developer oriented uh, build definition or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so that's that was one of the core features of of Grabu was was that build definition sure. being developer oriented and being right. able to support two way tooling. Um, so then going on to one of the other features was I um, I like Gradle Wrapper because you What's so Gradle, Gradle Wrapper is something that many Gradle projects use where you just run Gradle W and it downloads oh, Gradle for sure. you and then, and runs Gradle. Right. Um, it's good. The, the missing piece of it, there's a couple missing pieces of it. One is that it does require the JVM to run Gradle wrapper. Mm -hmm. And you could assume that, you know, most people have the JVM, but they may not have the right version of the JVM. There's, there's definitely some challenges there. And so you need the JVM to run Gradle and, and to bootstrap into Gradle. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I wanted to experiment with is can I actually have a native wrapper? Uh, I call it the bootstrapper, the mm -hmm. Grabu bootstrapper that will set up your environment for what's needed. And so what it does is it um, it's it's this kind of a bit of a Rube Goldberg machine for, for various reasons. But um, the the first entry point into it is a shell script or a command script. And so you can put those in your Git repository. And so then anyone can clone your repo and run Grabu. Uh, but what those do is those go and fetch a native application, Grabu. And so the native application, Grabu, I built with Kotlin Native. Uh, it's like four megs or something like that. So it's it's pretty, and I didn't even UPX it. UPX is a compressor for binaries. So I could, I think I did originally get it down to 700K compressed, but I didn't feel like eh, 700K, not, four megs doesn't really matter. Not really. Um, so it downloads this native executable. And then the native executable for, for your OS, Windows, Mac, and Linux, um, it then downloads the JVM. And once it gets a JVM, then it can run the but Gradle. But it also installs and configures the JVM. It just it doesn't have to really configure it. Okay. It really just it really just puts it into a place on your file system, and then it's there. You don't have to do a class path or anything. No, you because okay. it's all managing. It's using it essentially under the covers. Mm -hmm. So then it runs the Gradle wrapper thing to install Gradle. And then once we get Gradle, then we can run any of our you know mm -hmm. Gradle tasks, whatever, against our build. Wow. So it's this like multi-phase thing. But part of the reason why I did that like native wrapper piece, the the native application piece, was that there's a few things that I actually did want to happen in native land because they they wouldn't require a JVM and would be fast. So for example, if you do Grabu new to create a new project, that was something that I was like, I, I don't want to have to wait until there's a JVM. Yeah, eventually like to, to actually do this build, we're going to need the JVM and we're going to need Gradle. But I did want that like Grabu new experience to just be instantaneous. And so, um, so yeah, so, so you can Grabu new, that's just as going through the native application. But for new people and in teaching situations i mean this is gonna be uh, yeah i mean this is gonna be great yeah and th then there's some other features to it that i'm still working on a bit because of fun with security on on mac and windows mm -hmm. but i i wanted to have this experience where you go to grabu.dev which which does work today it's extremely ugly because um, I haven't put any time into making enough. it look nice. But uh, you go there, you create your new Grabu project, you tell it which kind of archetype you want to use, you get a zip file, you unzip your zip file, and then all that you should have to do is double click on your Grabu shell script or Grabu command, and that should then launch that project in your IDE. Mm. And I think it 
kind of works on Mac. I'm having some issues with the gatekeeper that tries to keep you safe from malware. And so I got to maybe figure out how to do notarizing of my app or something mm-hmm. on windows. It's like, Hey, are you really sure you want to run this, this thing? And, um, and on Linux, it, I, it, and there's probably a way out. to, um, do some kind of validation in windows as well. Right. Yeah, I think if I can sign it. Like I think I can it. sign sign, it. sign the binary it, yeah. for for Windows as well. But so the idea for that is like, you know, yeah, many developers are familiar with opening up the command line and you can go into the command line and you can say Grabu IDE but not all of them. and Grabu IDE will open your project in the IDE and mm-hmm. um and so you can go that route as well, but it's like, hey, you know, we can support an easier path for people and for people that do want to just double click on this thing and have it open up in their IDE, like we can do that. Um, yeah. So there's, there's that, that project um, kind of the, the process of getting the build tool and its environment kind of set up and launched. Um, and that's, that's all there and, and mostly working pretty well. There's probably a, a few, issues and things. Turns out that that doing cross-platform stuff, while Kotlin makes this a whole lot, yeah, Kotlin native makes this a whole lot easier, uh, there are weird things that come up. So for instance, I discovered, um, this was maybe a couple days ago when I was working on this, there's a a, um, C function for chmodding a file. Mm -hmm. And uh, it turns out that chmodding a file you have to be on not just a POSIX system, but on a certain type of POSIX system. Oh. So Windows, I think, is technically like somewhat POSIX or something like that. Like there's some POSIXy stuff available in, in Windows, but the Windows file system doesn't have file modes. And so Chmod doesn't make sense on Windows. And I think in Kotlin Native, when you compile the binary for Windows, uh, you actually can't even call Chmod because it just doesn't even make sense in the context of Windows. And so one of the nice things with with Kotlin multi-platform is that I can say, okay, for Windows do this, for Mac do this, for Linux do this. So one of the fun things that I ran into around this was, first, that part was pretty easy. I'm just like, okay, on Linux and Mac, just chmod the the file, um, because I needed it to be executable, and on Windows don't. Uh, But then, it turns out there's another subtle difference in Chmod between Linux and Mac. Uh, Chmod on a Mac takes like a U short, and Chmod on Linux takes a U int or something like that. Bet you never thought you were going to be a C programmer. Oh again. my god, the the just fun of dealing with the differences in these these C APIs across systems. Those are just is... types. I thought you liked types. <laughs> I do like types. <laughs> just those are just raw. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, there's been some some fun kind of doing the whole multi-platform thing, mm-hmm. and then testing for multi-platform is 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 certainly challenging. And how do you do that? Mostly through um... through GitHub Actions. Right. I run I run my CI stuff and tests on the three different platforms to to verify it. But there's places where oh, it sure would be nice if I could run this test for Windows, but on Linux. But it turns out that things like in the JVM file dot uh, separator, path separator char, whatever it is, um, that gets given to you by your runtime. And so there's like no way that you can adequately like, like do a test that has like a Windows path separator. It's just like things get, get pretty wonky. So anyways, Programming for multiple platforms is hard. Kotlin native uh, definitely does a lot to make it easier. But can't but, do everything. Um, can't, yeah, I mean, it's not magic. It still is. Mm-hmm. It, there still is actual platforms with differences underneath the covers that you that you have to think about. So, um, so there is there is yeah some fun challenges in kind of getting that native thing to to work across all the different different platforms. Now, is some of that correctly. because Kotlin native is still kind of early? There may be, so one of the places that is challenging is that the library ecosystem around Kotlin Native is pretty new and, mm-hmm. and growing. So I need to be able to zip a file mm-hmm. or, or unzip a file. I, I think, maybe, I don't know if I do unzip, I maybe just zip. Um, there, there isn't really a, at least that I've found, a unzip Kotlin Native library. 
And so what I have to do is fork out to the native system and un, and do my zip on the native system. But do you even know if the native system has a zip? Uh, yeah, it's a good point. My, I think I do currently assume that the native system does have zip installed. Just as a command line. Yeah. Okay. Um, which which may not always be true. Mm-hmm. So sure, it'd be nice to just have a library that does this all in in Kotlin native instead of having to fork sort out. Sort of like Python has a zip library. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. And of course, this exists on the JVM, but mm-hmm. at the point where I'm doing the zip, I'm you not don't in. JVM, I don't right? have a JVM, and so mm-hmm. so yeah. So there there there. It's a it's a growing ecosystem. Um, I did find one library that was going to give me my Linux targets for Kotlin multi-platform zipping, um, but they haven't been published yet. So uh, as soon as I would love to replace that that piece with a, with mm. a library, and maybe we're close to that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's part of this project has been me kind of diving into some of these pieces of, of Kotlin multi-platform and Kotlin native and trying to build some, some actual stuff there, which is, which has been a good well, learning experience. Well, and you know, because part of your job now is supporting Kotlin and Kotlin multi-platform. And this is showing you, like, you you can speak authoritatively about the fiddly bits, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you've struggled with them, yeah, and got to get deep into mm-hmm. into into it to really understand and and figure out how I can try to make things better. So, oh yeah, um, okay. So that that was the kind of native bootstrapper piece of of Grabu. Um, there's a couple other pieces, so. Um, one I mentioned grabu.dev, the the initializer. There's also the grabu new. So if you do want to bootstrap new, new project. projects, then you can yeah just say grabu new and yeah create a new project. And as well. if I have a project, can I tell grabu to look at my project and build me the Gradle file for it? Is that part of your ambition eventually? So if you you have an existing what kind of project? Oh, I don't know, say a Kotlin project and I and I'm writing the Kotlin code and I'm going, "Oh, I have to build this and I need to include these things. Can you look at my code?" And and it's if you if that's not <laughs> what you're planning, that's okay cuz then I can go, yeah. "Oh, I want to create a new one and I want to start with this and you know, I'll add libraries as I need them." Yeah. That's okay too, but I'm just wondering. What yeah, often you, I'll have to think you about can that. do that with yeah. Well, with Rye, you can do it. I'm not sure about um, Cargo, but uh... yeah, I mean, what's hard in the world of JVM stuff usually is that you, I guess, you can run Kotlin C directly, but most people don't, and so, um, so you need a build tool of some sort to to call the JVM you know class to do your build, and so I think I did use Kotlin C with the book. Oh, you all, did for all wow. the examples, other than yeah. the 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 gradle file that you created for me but that was for like when we package it up and people download it and run it and then they can run that and it'll build everything oh uh, yeah but you wrote that and i still don't understand it huh. really so yeah um okay so there's the project initializer piece um then one of the things that i've been experimenting with recently around gradle is version catalogs and i there's some some cool stuff in version catalog. So the idea of a version catalog is that you have a declarative TOML file that defines some dependencies. It doesn't define how those dependencies actually apply to the different like configurations of the build. No, wait, where's um, the declarative TOML file? Where does that You put from? it in a Gradle directory, usually. Okay. And it's called libs.versions.toml or something like that. And it's like just that. the libraries that you need for it's your... just the libraries that you need. But and, what, Gradle, and Grabu looks at this and generates no, based on that? So Gradle will take this file ah. and essentially compile it into code so that when you're in your build, you get these like type-safe references... Man, I don't know if type safe is the right way to say it, but you get you get typed references that you can like dot complete uh, through for your dependencies. So you say like libs.kotlinx.coroutines or whatever, and that'll reference this line in your TOML file. And it gives you one place to define all of your dependencies. Mm. And um, there's some good, because it's a declarative format, there's some good tooling around like Dependabot and stuff to update your, your TOML file. 
Um, so great old version catalogs are some cool stuff there. But one of the things that is kind of a challenge with version catalogs is that everyone ends up having their own libs.versions.toml file with pretty much the same things in it. Mm-hmm. And so um, a few months ago, I was like, hey, I want to just create the kind of Uber list of all of the dependencies that you may need. And I'm, you know, I'm sure I'm missing thousands or whatever, but kind of the common, like the same goal of, of Grabu, like, like, let's get all the common ones into a file. And Gradle has a way to distribute that version catalog to other people. And so you can essentially reuse version catalogs across projects. Hmm. And so I created this thing called the Kotlin Universe Catalog. And the Kotlin Universe Catalog. Not an catalog, ambitious name at all. It's the universe of, of all Kotlin things. Yeah. Um, and so, so you can use that standalone. And, and I use it in a bunch of projects now just to be able to pull in an easy way to get a list of dependencies. So are they all like mostly commented out and you just uncomment the ones you want or how's that work? It's, it's kind of like um, you can think of it as a, a lookup. Like, so you've got your list of all possible dependencies mm-hmm. and in your build file, you go in and you put the actual dependency um, into your build file, but you do it through the generated uh, accessor for the or lookup for the thing in the file, and the file has like version numbers and stuff. As version numbers, yeah, uh, okay. yeah. So the there's two different universe catalogs. Uh, there's one called Stables. I think it's called Stables. Stables is all the the current stable releases, and then there's Unstables, which is if there's anything with current new unstable releases, like mm. Kotlin 2.0.0-beta2 uh, is in the Unstables um, catalog. So in your build file, you just say like universe.kotlinx.coroutines or whatever, and you don't have to you don't have to define your own libs.versions.toml or whatever you just you you just it, well if you've used ver- the kotlin universe catalog outside of grabu then you do have to to include the the version catalog in your build but in grabu i was like maybe i should just include this universe catalog by default in a way that the user doesn't have to set it up or do anything it just the universe catalog just comes in automatically and so um so i think that creates in in some places just a little bit less friction of like okay i don't have to go edit two files to get a dependency in um i can just use the universe catalog if it has what i need but you're not constrained to only the universe catalog certainly you can just put your own dependencies in um but most people don't need to do that they and that little less friction, I just keep coming across how big, you know, it seems like, oh, it's just a little thing, but it turns out to be sometimes a showstopper. Sometimes yeah. it makes you just not want to deal with it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's been a lot of the driver is like, how can I take pieces of friction and, and reduce them? Mm-hmm. And so having that, that universe catalog just built in was, was one of the, I think, nice little friction reducers if people want to use mm-hmm. it, but they don't have to. Yeah. Um, okay, so there was that piece, um, and then I think that that's most of what I have in Grabu today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's I think the 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 foundation is there for for doing a bunch of things to reduce friction of of using Gradle, um, not having the build get in your way. Um, and there's, there's a lot more to do on like that declarative, uh, developer model for the build. Um, but there's a a start to all that. Uh, okay. So then there's some things that I will continue working on that, that I think is where we'll start to see, uh, kind of even more value of, of some of this stuff. So one of the things that we mentioned already is the two-way tooling. So being able to add dependencies in a variety of ways. So that's something that, that I want to work on to, um, to just make it easy to, to add dependencies into that's projects. That's always been just like, yeah, that that's so important to me. And that's, you know, the thing that I probably use the most other than, okay, getting the project started is, oh, I have a new library. I add it. And both uh, Cargo and Rye um, just do that seamlessly. And I've noticed, like, the guy who's been developing Rye, it's been 
at the current version for, I don't know, several months. For a while, he was changing it really fast. But, and it's not, you know, there are features that I could imagine, oh, this would be nice, that or that's nice. But what's there right now does so much, you know, of the stuff I don't want to think about for me that, like, even if it didn't get any better than this, I would say, oh, yeah, that's the one that I want to use just because it, <laughs> yeah. it's so much, it, it has reduced so much of that friction. But one of the things that it does is there's a build command and it'll turn something in, well, this is Python. So it'll turn it into a, what they call a wheel, uh-huh. which is kind of the standard um, binary distribution format, if I'm got that right okay not fully but but i don't have to think about that i can just say build and it creates a wheel and that can go right up on pypy or be distributed whatever do you have um is that something that is part of the scheme for um that's a that's a good point so the the four archetypes that i've defined so far are uh spring app kotlin app java app and um what's the what's the fourth one um, oh, Android app. <laughs> mm-hmm. So those are the the four archetypes that exist today. Um, the the next piece of the the developer model that I want to define is the libraries. So we should be able to do uh, Spring library probably doesn't make sense, but Java library, Kotlin library, Android library, and those. Um, there's a, today in Gradle when you want to create and publish a library, there is a lot of build stuff to get right. And so I think the library side will be really interesting to to really simplify that piece down because just things like, oh, I want to, uh, I feel like when, when I have a library built with Gradle that I want to publish on Maven Central, I have to like say something for it to include the java docs and the sources Mm -hmm. in the in the thing maybe i'm getting that wrong but i feel like there's stuff like that where it's like why do i need to tell it to do this thing that of course i want it to do and so that'll be a place where yeah the gradle boot developer model will just do set all that stuff up for you um ideally you're if you've got a a typical library let's say kotlin library that you want to put on maven central your build file should be like three lines long is what kind of thing i'm aiming for so um there's another uh feature that actually not clear to me right now whether rye does this but um um cargo does it which is when it creates a new project it can um create like a kind of uh, stub that shows you how to do testing Mm. and that's a good point so one of the things that i did build into all four of the archetypes that exist today is testing because that's just another place where typical gradle you have to define a whole bunch of build stuff to be able to just run tests and it's Mm. like like okay everyone should be running tests therefore testing infrastructure in the build should be out of the box. And so that's one of the things that the Gradle developer model does is it sets up testing for you for all the different uh, project archetypes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's probably still some work to do around how I set that up um, and and making sure it works well for people. One, one example of this is that when I run my tests, I like to see all of the test output in the console. Mm-hmm. For some reason, uh, I'm sure there are reasons. For some reason, by default in Gradle, the test output like doesn't go to the console unless you do dash dash info. Mm-hmm. It goes to a file, and I'm like, for me, maybe I'm weird, but for me, the default should be output it to the console. And so, That's what I'm used to. in Graboo, mm-hmm. when you run Graboo test, mm-hmm. you get your test output to the console. So. Mm-hmm. Does it also write it to the file? I think it does. Okay. Yeah. So you get everything that you could imagine wanting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of those places where it's like, yeah, I generally, I should not have to put anything into my build to see, to be able to run tests and see the output mm-hmm. in the console. Absolutely. And so in, for example, the, um, let's just take like a, the spring app uh, archetype in Graboo. It's like two lines 
and you can run Grabu test and it will run your tests. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, there's no, there's no boilerplate for the things that are common. Right. Is, but even just having that, uh, I feel like that's a lot of friction where you're going, oh, okay, let's see, I need to do testing. How do we set up tests again? And what do they look like? And all that. And to have that laid down there so you can go, oh yeah, here's a test. I'll just make more like this. And I don't have to go, oh, how do I configure it to make the test? Because you're already, like you're focused on your code and the tests are like an extra thing that you're already a little resistant to doing. And if it's got friction, then that's even less likely that you'll do it. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. Super valuable. Yeah. And I don't know if I've done it yet. Um, I'm, I may have, or I probably will at some point, but there's this Gradle plugin called um, Kotlin Power Assert, which mm. I love this tool. It's amazing. Uh, and I wrote a, a blog post um, that, that talked about this whole idea on, on my blog um, a few months ago. And your but, blog is jamesward.com or yep. something? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but this idea is that I, I've, I've come to really dislike test DSLs mm. uh, where you have to like have a whole different way of, of doing assertions, all these, and there's so many different assertion libraries out there. And all of my tests now are assert true. And I'll bet they got that from PyTest. Because that that's the core of PyTest is that you don't have a whole bunch of assert this, assert that, or whatever. You don't have all these functions. You just use the built-in assert, yeah. and it deals with it. And you're going, yeah. I, I don't so the, the reason why typically we haven't done this is that the output that you get when, you're, when your assertion is false is true is not equal to false or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that is not at all helpful. And so um, we, we first experienced this with uh, Scala Zio and Zio Test. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a macro that gives you this really nice output to, to give you this whole tree of your assertion, your Boolean assertion, so you can very quickly see, like, why were these things not equal? Um, and so there's... Uh, I. I think it was after, actually, after I wrote the blog post, someone had pointed out to me, "Oh, that exists in Kotlin with this um, power. with this power assert." Okay. And so, um, so I've now been using Kotlin power assert on everything, and and it's fantastic because it gives you that view. You you just do assert true, and you get that nice view of yeah. And why see, the if I was teaching was, was a workshop on Kotlin, I would want that to be pre-configured so that if people had, you know, test issues or whatever, it would give them, you know, that would just shorten the time to understanding. So if I haven't done it yet, I will make power assert, the Kotlin power assert, a default in the Kotlin um, template, just because it's one of those things where it's like, this is just the way that things should be. And we're going to make that the default instead of making people have to go You're through any building hoops. the tool and you get to have your opinion. <laughs> That's right. And I think a lot of people appreciate that opinion because yeah. a lot of people, they don't know, they go, well, what's this, you know, what's built into the language. I'll use that. A lot of people, yeah, that. and yeah. if you direct them to something that's way better, yeah. I think they will appreciate that. And if people don't like my choices, they can just use regular yeah. Gradle. What I what I haven't explored too much yet is like, what's the escape hatch look like? Like, if you want to have your build kind of primarily in Grabu, but then be able to add other plugins or whatever, um, there's still some exploration to figure out like what that what that process would look like. Uh, maybe it works today. I haven't even tried it, but, um, but yeah, because we're just on Gradle, just like essentially putting a D- a new DSL into Gradle, it should be totally possible to do that alongside other Gradle modifications. But mm-hmm. there's, there's probably some exploration that's needed on, on what that, what that escape hatch actually looks like in reality. And I think where, what I haven't done yet is, take any of my more complex builds and try to move them to Grabu and discover like, oh, do I need an escape hatch or is this something that should actually just be in Grabu? And so that'll be part of, of this as I, I go further. These are these are architecture design decisions. Yeah. Um, so as long as we're on the subject of opinions, um, 
I think this is outside of your purview, but I'm just going to ask anyway, because when I've had to explain the JVM logging system, you know, it's like, oh, there's all these abstractions and abstractions on top of abstractions. And now it's like, oh, well, just make choices. And it's like, I don't know what choices to make. You know, it's like, which, yeah. which uh, logging pile of logging framework should I use? Yeah. And is that a possible, I mean, I suppose that would be much further on if you decided to add, if you say, okay, add logging, and then you would have your opinionated choices about what the logging should be. But at least it would be something there and most people would use it. Yeah. And then if they needed, you know, to tweak it for some random, you know, for tuning or whatever, then they can go in and learn about it, but yeah. they don't have to know everything just to get it working. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't thought fully about logging in particular, but as an example of this, one of the things that I'll have in Grabu add is the ability to add, um, let's say, KTOR client, so the, the Kotlin HTTP client library. Well, it turns out on the JVM, KTOR client, I think, needs uh, SLF4J, the logging library, really? or needs a logging, li I don't know, mm -hmm. I'll have to dive deeper into this. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that people commonly do is to put SLF4J alongside KTOR client for the JVM, then Grabu is going to do that for you. Mm. It's it's not going to make you have to make that decision. Nice. If if there's a sensible default. And I think yeah. in that in in that particular case, there is a good sensible default, which is just include it. And you know what? If somebody wants to remove it, then maybe we can figure out. Sure, they can to, always to go in. It. But but I think the hurdle that I've always had is just, oh, what do I do here? And how do I do it? And, and it's like, uh, supposed to be, it's so much of a sensible default that if you're reading an article, they just go, oh yeah, add this to your Gradle build file. I don't remember how to do that. Yeah. And where does it even I, go? Yeah. I don't know where it goes or how to, yeah. you know, I, and so if, if you create the sensible default for me, mo I mean, I may never touch it. Yeah. That, and I'll bet most people will never touch it. They'll just go, I'm trying to write this program. Do the rest of it for Can me. Can we make the build go away, make essentially? The build go away. Oh, there's your tagline. <laughs> there's our tagline. Yes, make the build go away. For most people. For we'll most we'll people. put that in like, yeah. like fine print. For most people, right. <laughs> well, and I feel like even, even if somebody is, um, you know, a build expert, there's all this stuff that they don't want to have to they don't want to have to write the starting thing from hand They're, yeah. they they want to tune it they, you know yeah, yeah. I, I i feel like the work that you're doing to get rid of the fiddly bits is going to be appreciated by so many people yeah i think I this is a uh i think this is i think this is your best project ever oh thank you. i think so uh really? okay there's a couple other things okay. that i want to talk about which because a part of this doing the podcast around this is that a while back, this was maybe a year ago, I tweeted something about how um, how I wanted to fix the friction with Gradle. And I'd, um, I'd asked, like, does anyone want to help me with this? And there was a number of people that did say that they would be interested in helping me. And mm -hmm. so part of why I want to share this in the podcast is to say, okay, I'm now ready for help. Because there's a few other pieces that I want to tackle that will take some work, and um, so some of those pieces that uh, we've we've talked about the dependency adding thing. So that's the two-way tooling is one of the pieces. Mm -hmm. Another one that I really want to build, which I have not seen in the world of Gradle, maybe exists and somebody can tell me and I can just reuse it, is something that's a Gradle console. So this is something I actually really like about SBT, is in SBT, you run SBT, you get thrown into the SBT interactive console, and now you can like tab complete all mm. sorts of the tasks, you can tab complete um, the properties of the build. There's all these things that you can do in this really nice experience when you're in the shell of the build. Right. And so I really want to have as part of Grabu this, this Gradle shell and or Gradle console, Gradle shell, I don't know what you call it. But, um, but so that's, that's one of the pieces that I, I want to build um, with Grabu. Um, and I think that will be a good, good way for people that, that want to be, um, want to have just an easier, like, how do you know what task to even run on a Gradle build? Like you, you maybe have read documentation, but sometimes the tasks, well, very often in Gradle, the tasks are actually based on names that are defined in your build file. And so your, your task name can be different 
depending on what you've defined. Mm -hmm. And so tab completion for tasks sure would be, would be nice. And yeah. So, what are my options? What are my options? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so you could use help with that. And also um, I would think that one of the benefits of working on this is if you're interested in learning about Kotlin native, this would be a really uh, good way to, yeah, that will. So that particular piece would be on the JVM because we oh, need to okay. actually be running Gradle. You're already running. We're, the we're JVM running. At this point. Yeah, no, exactly. Okay. So that one wouldn't be. So in maybe the world there's maybe the Kotlin native part is mostly done at this point. There's a few little tasks left um, okay. that I could probably use some help with. Like I have an auto updater mm. uh, right now. It just checks every time I need to like do like throttling. So it only checks once an hour or mm -hmm. most or something. I don't know. Um, so there's, there's a few little pieces left in the, the native bootstrapper, but, okay, but that's, that mostly done. that's mostly okay. done. So most yeah. of this would be uh, JVM work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then lots of people would already know how to do that. Yeah, it should be pretty straightforward. Should, you know. Um, okay, and then the next piece that I'm interested in in exploring and looking at is one of the frictions that I have with Gradle. And again, this I think this comes from my experience with SPT is that you don't always have multiple main files in a project, but mm -hmm. when you do, well, if you have one or you have more, it sure would be nice to have a nice experience about interacting with those main files. And in SPT, if you uh, say SPT run, if you have one main, it just runs it. You don't have to specify it. It just, it figures uh, it out. Like, okay. oh, you've oh, got a main. There's only one. It. I'll run that. Yeah. That's what you meant. And if you have multiple, then it asks you, which oh. one do you want to run? I'm like. That's reasonable. Th and you don't have to like do any build mucking to, uh -huh. to do that. It's just as right. built in. And so one of the other things that I think would be a nice piece to grab you is, is that like kind of auto main discovery and giving you a nice experience around it. Mm. If you look at my current archetypes, uh, that, that you get through creating a new Grabu app, you'll see that the main class is specified. And that's just because I don't have this auto main discovery piece in there oh, yet. I but see. that would be, I could reduce my build files from four lines to three lines <gasps> um, if I get the uh, auto main discovery piece uh, built. Mm, so that nice. would be nice. Yeah. So that's one of your ambitions. Yep. Yeah. And so that's that's what's kind of currently on on tap um and things i'll continue working on uh, around grabu it's on my github uh, mm -hmm. github james ward and then grabu right and, and then what now does grabu.dev have a link to the github as well it doesn't but i should put that on okay. there so yep good good idea mm -hmm. um the that we can talk for a minute about the grabu.dev because okay. there was some we, we uh, last night were working together on some of the fun parts of that particular piece, which is um, grabu.dev. It's running on Google Cloud Run, uh, which is you know serverless takes containers, and I could have done the JVM based server and probably would have been a lot easier, uh, but I wanted instant startup. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do a Kotlin native server using KTOR. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, runs natively. So my container image is super small. It starts up instantly, all that. Um, but there were some challenges because uh, it turns out that I'm using um, the KTOR client on curl on the native system. And then you have to get a a native, uh, you have to get a container image that has the curl libraries in it. And um, so there was, there was some fun bits to, to get in the, that yeah, Docker container. Mm -hmm. So getting all of that kind of machinery set right, up. And, because and the Docker container tricky, you were using didn't nap, didn't come with curl. Yeah, I was using Debian Slim. Debian Slim didn't have, well, it didn't have zip, which I needed. And I didn't have a uh, lib curl. And whatever. why did you choose Debian Slim? Because it's nice and slim. Okay, <laughs> because of the name. All right. And, um, and you're looking for quick startup. Yep. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So. Small container image, uh -huh. um, instant startup. Uh, some people use Alpine, but getting Kotlin native to work on Alpine is a little bit tricky. And mm. I was worried about getting the zip and curl kind of, I don't know. Right. Just, so going with a Debian-based image was a better setup for, for Kotlin native. Um, yeah. So that was... yeah, there's, it seems like you're dealing with so many practical issues here that we 
are able to well we, on this podcast you know we we sort of deal with oh what would be all the interesting <laughs> ideal things and then here you're down mucking around with oh yeah how I, do we make this practically work yeah practically where here are my constraints and parameters and that forces me to use this thing which has these limitations and yeah. i have to yeah actually piecing together a real project is we we haven't achieved nirvana <laughs> yeah. yet with that. Well, one of the things I've realized in in this whole adventure of Grabu is that I complain a lot about developer experience and how often the developer experience is bad. Mm-hmm. And working on this project, I realized just how hard it is to create good developer experience. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where if it was easy, everyone would do it. And it turns out that often I think good developer experience actually takes a lot of work and is really hard. And so it's been a, been a fun adventure. Yeah. Yeah. It, you, you have to commit to it. It's not because I think what has happened in the past is it's like, Oh, well I'm committed to developing this programming language and these other things. Um, I mean, there's tools for that. That's not my interest or focus or whatever. And somebody like what you're doing here, you have to go, no, this is important, and I'm just going to really drill into this thing yeah. and do whatever it takes. Yeah. And, uh, I, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, I mean, I'm already going, oh, I don't, it, just the idea that if I, like if I would, were to do another edition of the Kotlin book, that I wouldn't have to worry about screwing around with, um, with Gradle stuff. That's yeah. just a, a mental relief. Yeah. And and for beginners, my gosh, I mean, that's that made the Rust experience so great mm. because I'm going, oh, I want to create example. Cargo knew this. Yeah. It's just like mm, cargo run yeah. goes. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this just now I can focus on the the Rust and not all of the messing around without it. And yeah. I, I mean, I, you know. Go has its issues, but I'm glad that they did as much as they did for, you know, taking those decisions off the table and we'll, we'll just do it for you. And this is Go brings up a, a good question of, I haven't yet put a formatter into Grabu, but that's one of the, like Go format and uh, Cargo has a built-in yes. formatter, right? And so... Yes. So it probably would make sense. Like, hey, most people should probably be formatting their code with a standard formatter and standard mm-hmm. rules. And so maybe we should include a KT format or one of the Kotlin, sure. or I guess it would be and, Kotlin archetype. But. And you'll have it in the place where if somebody wants to change it, they go, oh, I'll change this to something else, rather than going, how do I put a formatter in? Yeah. Um, there's another thing which I think I asked for with Rye um, which is like once I know more about my style that I can replace the the default generated stuff with, you know, oh, well, I'm always going to be using this library or I'm always going to be mm. configuring for this line width or something like that. So when you generate my file, um, you know, put those things in. Ooh, so be able like to that. go back to some kind of... Uh, uh, okay, here's what we're using as a default. And if you want to modify that, go yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. a good idea. Yeah. That would be, I don't think that would be too bad. I don't to, think it'd be very to, hard because yeah. you have some place where you go, oh, well, yeah. this is what we're going to use to to spit this stuff out. Yeah. So I, and my, the templater that creates the new projects is pretty basic right now. Mm-hmm. It, it will need some, some work. I had written a templater for Zio. Um, there, I, a couple of years ago, I created this like start.zio.dev or whatever. Mm-hmm. You could bootstrap new Zio projects, and it's, I haven't worked on it in a long time. It's, right. It doesn't even work anymore. Um, but the the architecture that I went with for for the Zio project initializer was all based on diffs, and so it actually created a really interesting way to like stack changes so it's like okay you've got your base project but what if you want scala 3 instead of scala 2 well that's just a diff what if you want this dependency instead of this one that's just a diff Mm -hmm. and so i was able to create this like like um diff structure where depending on what what options you specified it would apply this set of diffs together 
Um, and I, I maybe was even doing some like matrix testing to like make sure that that all the different variations would actually work in the mm. right way across the diffs and stuff. So it was, it was it was a little bit tricky, but it was an interesting architecture. So back to your point is maybe you could write a patch file to your .grabu directory, and that patch file would get applied on Grabu new for for you or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. something like that would be interesting. Um, and you said you you wrote your own templating system. Oh, it's just Kotlin multi-line strings. Like it's, oh, okay. Yeah, it's very, very Because I know basic, but, sometimes um, projects will use, um, you know, a templater that somebody else has built so that they don't have to reinvent that whole thing. I don't know if that would make sense. It could, yeah. I've not put much thought I mean, right into now, the, the actual templater piece yet. Substitution is just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that makes sense. But I think you're probably right. At some point, I will need some kind of actual mm-hmm. templating library or mm-hmm. or a, a patch diff based system mm-hmm. or something. Um, but yeah, haven't put much thought into that piece yet. No. Yeah. Um. So let's see. Have we covered the bases? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hopefully, people. I don't know. Try it out, but very. You know, there's. It's very early. Sure. Um. And please let me know feedback, thoughts, and uh-huh. if you want to help, right. there's still a lot to do. So. Sure. So it can be a. Yeah. Yeah. A fun I would project. Think you would. You've you've run open source projects before. Yeah. where People are contributing, so you yeah. know how to. Yeah. Make that a good experience. Collaborate with others. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Plays well with others. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. I would think so. Well. Yeah. So. Should be fun. Yeah, yeah, and I'll probably uh, up at the Winter Tech Forum in a couple months. Be be exploring this. Oh yeah, you could even have that cool. as a hack day project. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. So that's um, and then yeah, show people how it works and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that sounds great. I mean, this just this warms my heart. Yeah. Because uh, reducing friction, make the build is, go away. Make the build go away. Yeah, and I mean even with. <laughs> Even being able to ask ChatGPT to create a build file for me, I think I still would like. I mean, that's helpful, but being able. But then, when I want to add a new library or whatever, being able to say "Grabu add," I'm that's just wired into my, you know, from using these other tools. That's what I want, and so having that uh, available, I think, um, it's just going to make life a lot easier for. Lots of people, and especially new learners, yeah, because there's so many hurdles to yeah. just getting Java to work, or <laughs> exactly. Kotlin or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like take those, yeah, take those off my plate. That's it. Yeah, that's the goal. Awesome. Thank you for for doing that. <laughs> Thanks for your help. It's been oh, well, been, been noodling this and yeah. and working on it together for a long time. So all right, and. We will see everybody or hear hear everybody in the next year. year. Yeah, see you in 2024.